0: If chocolate is your weakness, the real chocolate decadence of... Flava Naturals' performance dark chocolate can be your strength. Extensive research demonstrates the remarkable benefits of daily cocoa flavanols on brain and heart function, including a recent Harvard study showing a 27% reduction in cardiovascular death. The FDA recently issued a qualified health claim saying that high flavanol cocoa powder may help prevent cardiovascular disease. It may even be a helpful tool in managing cognitive decline. Flava Naturals' dark chocolate bars and cocoa powder deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate with great flavor and minimal sugar. Their secret is sourcing premium high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to fuel brain and cardio performance. I use it every day. For more information and to order, just go to flavanaturals.com. There you'll find the extensive research behind cocoa flavanol's benefits and great recipes too. That's flavanaturals.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today's subject is memory. It's a crucial subject. We're also gonna talk about what can go wrong when memory goes awry. Is it Alzheimer's or is it just the ordinary process of aging or are there other possibilities? Uh, With me is an expert on the subject. I realized that uh, I interviewed him back in 2017. Uh, about uh, his previous book on memory. He has a new book, uh, which he co-authored with Dr. Maureen O'Connor, Six Steps to Managing Alzheimer's Disease and Dementia, A Guide for Families. He's Dr. Andrew Budson. Dr. Budson uh, graduated with honors from Harvard Medical School, and uh, he then uh, received advanced training in neurology, Uh, He has become an expert on memory, and he has a memory disorders clinic at the VA in Boston, and he treats patients as well as teaching medical students, residents, and fellows, Uh, and he also has a a blog on psychology today. He's a frequent contributor, writes uh, articles of interest there. Uh, Welcome, Dr. Butson. It's nice having you back on Intelligent Medicine.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: It's my pleasure. So, uh, you know, on the subject of uh, memory, uh, you know, I guess uh, a lot of folks uh, my age, uh, I'm 68, uh, and I think I have a good memory. Uh, I have a great memory when it comes to medical stuff. Uh, People are sometimes astounded with the stuff that I come up with uh, when I'm doing my radio show and people query me about some oddball medical disorder. But when it comes to some things like Pop culture, you know. Sometimes I, I go, yeah, you know, I just saw that old movie Five Easy Pieces, and you know the actor, the actor, I, and I can't, I can't quite remember his name. I perseverate. Oh, and yeah, yeah, it's Jack Nicholson. It takes me like a couple of minutes to remember, uh, and then I worry. You know, I'm 68. Uh, is this a sign of deteriorating memory? Uh, how do you know uh, whether you're progressing towards dementia? Or whether that's you know just perhaps stress or, you know, ordinary uh, uh, age-related memory impairment?
1: Uh, yeah, it's a great question and one that uh, I get asked uh, very frequently. So the, the good news is for, for you and all the, uh, the listeners out there that to have difficulty retrieving uh, people's names, names of movies, names of restaurants, other proper nouns is just a normal part of aging and is not something to uh, worry about. The type of memory loss that makes me concerned that at least it should be investigated is when uh, information that uh, you know well about uh, uh, an upcoming uh, event or something that you did yesterday, like you know what you had for dinner last night, when that type of information is rapidly... Uh, forgotten so you know it's okay to maybe need a a bit of a hint or a reminder to come up with the name of the restaurant but one should be able to describe you know the people that were there what you ate uh, things like that so it's the difference between trouble just coming up with a proper noun that can happen in normal aging versus actually forgetting an event that's not normal
0: and here's another variation on the theme. Uh, I guess I have a certain element of uh, social phobia because, uh, I'll go to a party when parties were still happening. Of course, in the COVID era, that's less of a problem because we're all in isolation and lockdown or somewhat. Uh, but I'd be introduced to a bunch of people. Hi, uh, uh, you know, Ron, this is uh, Joe, Jack, Ellen and Susan. And, and my mind goes blank. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I, you know, I shake their hands, I greet them. And then a few minutes later, I'm going, what in the heck were their names?
1: Yeah, that's, that's also very uh, common. And I think it's actually quite interesting that we uh, are all programmed biologically, that when we are introduced to somebody, we are not paying attention to their name we're paying right. attention to their facial expression yes. we're making eye contact we're trying to you know develop a connection with them and usually we're just not paying attention to their name so it's actually one of the things that we talked about in our our earlier books the seven steps to managing your memory like how do you actually do this you know what's the right way to do it and, and you you actually have to consciously Pay attention to the name when someone is introducing themselves. It's a good idea to try to think of a connection between that name and something that's meaningful to you. And it's always good to try to then, you know, say the name out loud, like saying, oh, you know, it, it's nice to meet you, Dr. Hoffman, or, or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, clearly uh, there's uh, another element to this, which is that uh, when you're young and you forget something, you go, I'm a ditz, you know, you sort of slap your forehead and go, yeah, uh, I didn't get enough to sleep. But as you get older, I think people have like a memory anxiety, you know, anytime they have a lapse in memory, they think, oh, my goodness, you know, you know, my dad uh, suffered from dementia in his 80s. Maybe I'm going down that path.
1: Yeah, no it it's really it's really true, and that's you know one of the the things that you know my co-author and I really try and do to all our book in all our books is to help people feel more comfortable with actually taking a look at these issues, examining your memory. You know, the good news is that most people who are in their sixties uh, and seventies. Their memory actually is normal. So most of the time, it, it's not something to worry about. And the other thing is, there really is a lot to do. As you know, as a physician, there's a lot we can do for memory disorders. And we can do so much more than we could uh, you know, when someone's parent uh, was diagnosed uh, with it. So it's not something to, to be afraid of. It's something to consider just like any other medical problem.
0: And I've heard a discussion that the quality of memory changes. Maybe you don't have the kind of uh uh memory that's going to enable you to ace your med school exams, but you have a kind of memory that maybe is more global, maybe call that wisdom or kind of seeing the forest for the trees type of memory is is that has that been demonstrated in neuroscience research
1: yes absolutely it it has been uh sometimes people talk about the difference between fluid intelligence which is you know the ability to sort of you know add up a list of numbers in your head or something like that that type of intelligence that type of memory is uh, certainly better in younger individuals usually it peaks in your 20s but this uh, so-called crystallized uh, intelligence and memory for uh, information is uh, not only preserved but does just as you said Uh, actually improve over time. And it's felt that it is the ability to, number one, have sort of uh, attained uh, all of these uh, different uh, facts and information, and also to have lived enough years to have perspective on what all these different things mean. It's felt sort of the combination of these is uh, some of the important ingredients for uh, wisdom that uh, I I do feel that uh, we get a little closer to uh, each year.
0: Is it fair to say that uh, there's something happening here because we're seeing uh, an epidemic of Alzheimer's disease is it merely because we're living longer or are there certain uh, societal factors uh, environmental factors that are propelling more people to a memory decline and you know classic signs of dementia
1: it's definitely both so for sure and as you uh, know very well, uh, because modern medicine has done actually a really good job of reducing the risk uh, of heart disease and uh, being able to catch and treat cancers so much earlier, we really do have an epidemic of uh, older adults. It's just the fastest growing segment of our uh, population. So some of it is certainly that. But the other piece of it is that uh, it is very clear that um, obesity and the diseases that are often associated with being overweight, such as diabetes, hypertension, uh, high cholesterol, uh, these are uh, also an epidemic in our society. And it has been shown in study after study after study that individually, when there's uh, more hypertension, there's a higher risk of Alzheimer's and other dementias. The same thing for high cholesterol, the same thing for diabetes. So I do think that as a society, uh, we are not doing a good enough job to live healthy lives and take care of these risk factors for dementia. And that is certainly increasing the numbers of people with dementia uh, today.
0: So in part, it's a, a merit system. But is there a genetic programming to Alzheimer's? Should uh, people be inordinately worried if they have family members who've developed dementia? Does that mean that they're doomed to, uh, to suffer the same fate?
1: Yeah. So On the one hand, uh, I want to send the message very clearly that uh, just because you had a parent or a a sibling with dementia does not mean that you are destined to develop it. But at the same time, there is a higher risk. And, you know, I, I really want everyone out there to think about how they can reduce their risk of developing uh, alzheimer's disease and other dementias by eating a healthy diet which means a mediterranean style uh, menu of uh, eating uh, by exercising uh, regularly by uh, uh, participating in social activities i know i know it's a little tough with the pandemic but those things really are important the increased risk if you have a family history is approximately twofold to fourfold. So for example, if the risk of developing Alzheimer's disease at age 65 is approximately 3%, if you have a family history, it's approximately 6 to 12%. So there is certainly an increase in risk. But that also means you have an 88% chance of not developing it at right. age 65. So I want to emphasize the positive. And the last thing I want to say on this point is that Uh, approximately half of people with Alzheimer's disease have a family history, but the other half do not. So I really, again, want to emphasize to your listeners out there that everyone needs to try to live a healthy lifestyle uh, because just because they don't have a family history, it doesn't mean they're immune. They need to do the right things too.
0: So how do we uh, detect the presence of uh Alzheimer's? Uh, Alzheimer's disease. I mean, it it seems a little dicey. I've read of new breakthrough innovations and scans and even blood tests that can determine whether you have Alzheimer's disease, but those are uh, sort of in their infancy. Uh, Then there are the neuropsychiatric tests. Can you you, uh, tell us about how a person or a concerned family member uh, might uh, access some of these tests to determine whether someone is moving in that direction?
1: Yes. The first thing that I always recommend is that you talk to your primary care doctor if you are concerned about yourself or a loved one. But uh, one of the reasons that we wrote our, our first book is to let the individual know what are the things the primary care doctor should do because Uh, Sometimes they they don't do everything that we hope they do. So we want the primary care doctor to do at least some uh, little pencil and paper testing. It can just be a five-minute test, but there should be some pencil and paper testing. There should be blood tests to look for vitamin deficiencies and thyroid disorders and uh, things like that. Uh, There should be a brain scan. Uh, and this can be a uh, a cat scan or an MRI scan uh, to look for any uh, other brain problems that could be causing the trouble with thinking and memory.
0: But and, but those, excuse me, those those tests don't reveal the presence of Alzheimer's disease. You don't see uh, the amyloid plaque on these uh, conventional scans, correct?
1: you're You're absolutely right. to To really know for sure, if Alzheimer's is uh, present, the two methods that we have today, both of which are FDA approved, is either a special amyloid PET scan where you uh, can actually see the uh, evidence that the amyloid plaque is in the brain, uh, or a lumbar puncture a spinal tap to look for changes in levels of uh, beta amyloid, uh, one of the abnormal proteins in Alzheimer's, as well as tau, both the uh, phosphorylated tau and the total tau. So those are the two FDA-approved ways today, and as you mentioned, there are blood tests that are looking very promising, but they're not yet uh, FDA-approved.
0: Okay. Sorry for that. Uh, the So, in terms of uh, the amyloid plaque theory, uh, I've seen some uh, pushback against that. Because, uh, you know, I, I think you're probably aware that there was a 60 Minutes uh, special on uh, dementia. And they looked at the brain's post-mortem of people who had severe dementia or had relatively uh, little in terms of uh, memory decline and uh, what they determined was that there was a lack of concordance between the amount of amyloid in the brain and um, the memory of, of certain people some people had brains chock full of amyloid and yet they functioned well others relatively little and uh, they were severely impaired
1: it, yeah that that's very true and um We've known for a while from autopsy studies, but it has sort of come to the forefront, uh, I think, of people's consciousness uh, more recently, that just because you have amyloid doesn't mean that brain cells are, are going to be killed. It's uh, the, the sort of standard uh, hypothesis of Alzheimer's is it starts out that these, this amyloid accumulates, it forms these plaques there's inflammation that damages brain cells. Inside the brain cells, a protein called tau gets loose. The tau sticks to itself, it forms these long chains, and those long chains get tangled up. They form tangles. It's the tangles that actually kill the brain cells. And so even by this standard hypothesis, one thing that can happen is that people can have uh, a lot of amyloid, but the amyloid, for whatever reason, didn't damage the brain cells enough so that the tau is normal and the tangles aren't present and the brain cells are not being killed. And in fact, there's even a theory now that I actually think is correct that the purpose of amyloid in the brain is to act as part of the body's uh, immune system yeah, protective invaders like uh, viruses, bacteria, even uh, fungi and parasites. And so it may be that clearing out amyloid is not the answer.
0: Right. And that brings us to the subject of uh, the latest, greatest innovation in Alzheimer's treatment. Highly controversial. In fact, uh, there's been a lot written about it. Uh, Agihelm. Uh, a new drug that is basically a plaque buster, uh, expensive, lots of side effects. And while it does reduce amyloid plaque, uh, the studies are for too short a duration to see if it really makes a difference in the long run.
1: Yeah, no, a- absolutely. So I um, have a lot of uh, experience with this. Uh, drug, uh, I did participate as uh, one of the site investigators uh, in the clinical trial. And I've also was at the FDA hearing when the uh, advisory panel reviewed the data uh, with the FDA. And I think it's very clear that, uh, uh, first of all, that the drug I think, does what it was designed to do. So the drug was designed to be a antibody made in the laboratory, and although antibodies normally, as you know, uh, work to stick to viruses and bacteria so the body's immune system can remove those pathogens from the brain, here the antibody is directed against the amyloid plaques, so the immune system can then remove the plaques from the brain. And all the studies suggest that it actually did this quite well. It removed the plaques. But when they looked at how people did, in two large studies, one of them showed a little bit of improvement. The other one showed a little bit of worsening uh, if you were on the drug to the same amount that the other study showed improvement. So the bottom line is there's no clear evidence, in my opinion, That removing the amyloid plaques with this drug actually improves patient outcome.
0: Right, it's a little bit like uh, you know if you go to a uh, the site of a fire and you say, uh, "Wow, there's a lot of damage here. We got to stop you know having firemen come and put a lot of water on the on the fire because uh, it seems to be the water that's causing all the damage." Well, water is present, but is it the you know? approximate cause of all the destruction and in house fires It's a little bit like that yeah okay Uh, all right great uh, introduction to the subject of uh, memory and uh, we're gonna explore memory decline further we're gonna talk about uh, other measures to slow the progression of Alzheimer's disease some of the medications out there Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the role of exercise and diet. Lots more to discuss on today's edition of Intelligent Medicine. Our guest, Dr. Andrew Budson, Dr. Budson, co-author of Six Steps to Managing Alzheimer's Disease and Dementia, a Guide for Families. And mention your previous book, which is also a great resource.
1: Yes, it's seven steps to managing your memory, what's normal, what's not, and what to do about it.
0: Do you do you make uh, any extra bucks uh, as a consultant for Jeopardy contestants? <laughs> do you offer that service?
1: No, no. Not,
0: that could not, be a good gig for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I don't know, maybe the, the folks at uh, Harvard may, <laughs> may discourage that, who knows. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. And this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.